Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What's up, guys? Not 100% yet, but close enough to be able to crank out a full show, uh, I believe, uh, with... Uh, with a you know a few amount of coughs that can easily be edited out of the show, so uh, so yeah, let's get, <laughs> uh, week number six of the fourth phase. Uh, we've got fifteen matchups uh, on the schedule uh, this week. Only two teams on the bye: Green Bay and Pittsburgh, I believe it is. Double checking my notes. Yep, Green Bay and Pittsburgh. So they are the ones uh, with a week off. Uh, here green bay could definitely use it uh at this point uh pittsburgh what a weird five weeks uh they've had i mean the green bay is absolutely the same uh two and three and um you know their their second win i mean obviously they they blew the bears out of the water week one and then their second win over new orleans a lot of people feel like if Derek carr finishes the game healthy they lose that one uh, as well, because the Saints had the Packers well in hand, seventeen to nothing going into the fourth quarter, before uh, you know Derek Carr got hurt late in the third. So yeah, it all happened in the fourth quarter for him. Who says that happens if uh, if Derek Carr finishes the game? So they could very well be in a one and four hole, just like the the Bears and the Vikings uh, in the NFC North uh, right now. But they got that win over um, the Saints. Um, you know they got. Uh, beat up on Thursday night football against the uh against the Lions and they had 11 days to get ready for the Raiders on uh, Monday night and they blew that one uh as well. So, yeah, it's uh it's been quite the roller coaster without Aaron Rodgers uh over there in uh in Green Bay and uh they could probably use the the break uh even though it's an early bye in an 18-week season. But um yeah, and then We'll talk about Pittsburgh uh, later. But uh, like I said, we got 15 games. So we'll have five games in our uh, pick six segment. So we can have 10 in the all out blitz. But uh, let's go ahead and get the show started. This is the week six. Week six. I was, I don't even want to know what word I was actually going to say. The week six preview episode of the fourth phase. So let's get to it. Welcome to the fourth phase, presented by Bears Talk Underground and Sports Drink Media. And now, your host, Larry D. Week number six of the 2023 season signals the end of the first third of the uh, season, uh, which is crazy that it's, you know, we're, we're there already it's uh it's mid-october uh now and uh baseball season is wrapping up we're already we already have i think the alcs is decided in like who's playing in it and and uh we got teams uh you know i think the nlcs will be set by tomorrow at the latest i think and uh you know then before you know it the world series is here and all that kind of stuff hockey's regular season just started 
And I think the NBA is already playing preseason games. Not that I give a damn either way, but still. All of that is happening, and, uh, you know, the the the, the NFL is in uh, full steam uh, at this point. So uh, it's uh, it's an interesting time. Fall is a fun time, especially if you are a sports fan. And uh, there's also some pretty good uh, UFC cards coming up as well. You got John Jones fighting next month, and uh, that, that card in Dubai next weekend Um it's getting changed by the minute, but it's like they keep making fights better than the one that they had in the first place. So that one's going to be fun uh, to watch uh, next weekend. But anyway, <laughs> we got 15 games on the slate uh, this week, uh, which means we'll have five in our pick six segments, so we can have 10 for the all-out blitz. Our five games this week uh, – Washington at Atlanta, Seattle at Cincinnati, San Francisco at Cleveland, Philly and the Jets, and Detroit at Tampa Bay. And the remaining 10 games will be in the all-out blitz, which we'll get to here in just a moment. But, um, you know, before we do, let's go ahead and uh, dive in to our news and notes. Uh, Just a couple of things uh, I want to go over. News and notes for week number six, and uh, basically the only news or note that I have or that I honestly just uh, bothered to look for (laughs) was the uh, NFL announced their uh, AFC-NFC Players of the Week, and uh, on the AFC side, the Offensive Player of the Week for Week 5, Jamar Chase, 15 catches, 192 yards, three touchdowns, in Cincy's win over the Cardinals last uh, weekend. Uh, this is third career player of the week. And um, he is the fourth Bengal non-quarterback to earn Offensive Player of the Week three times, joining James Brooks, Corey Dillon, and Joe Mixon, all running backs. So that's interesting. And uh, the last little note they put in here becomes second former LSU player to earn Offensive Player of the Week Three times joining his quarterback, Joe Burrow, who's done it five times so far. Defensive player of the week, Max Crosby, defensive end for the Raiders in their uh, victory over the Packers. Five tackles, four tackles for loss, and a sack. The most tackle for loss in week five ranks tied first in the NFL uh, or in tackles for loss since 2019 with 73. This is his fifth career player of the week. Having done it, uh, I didn't didn't do it at all last year, but 2019, 2020, 2021, and now 2023, which, call me crazy, that seems like four to me. Oh, 2021, he did it twice, week one, week 18, so there's the other one. Helps if you read there. Anyway, uh, the first Raider to ever earn four defensive players of the week and the only former Eastern Michigan player to earn multiple player of the weeks. Interesting stat. And special teams player of the week on the AFC side, Greg Zerline for the Jets. He was 5 for 5 in his field goals and 17 points total. Hitting field goals from 30, 26, 27, 22, and 49. The most kicking points in week 5 and tied most kicking points in a single game so far this year. This is his 7th player of the week award. 
uh, joins Jason Myers as the only Jets kicker to earn the honor in the last 10 years. The only former Missouri Western State player to earn player of the week. Those are AFC folks. On the NFC side, lo and behold, the NFC Offensive Player of the Week, DJ Moore from my beloved Chicago Bears, eight catches, 230 yards, three touchdowns, the fifth player with 230 receiving yards and three touchdowns, three receiving touchdowns in a single game since 2000. This is his first career Player of the Week award. Only the second Bears wide receiver ever to earn Offensive Player of the Week, joining Marcus Robinson from his Week 15 performance back in 99. You know, I was surprised to hear that because Alshon Jeffrey, um, like in back-to-back weeks, had 200-plus yard receiving games. But then when I was looking at who the actual winners of the awards were, all six of them, uh, all three from the AFC, all three from the NFC, they won this weekend. And the ironic thing being that uh, despite Alshon's 200-yard-plus output in back-to-back games against the Saints and Vikings, this was in 2013, uh, he lost. We lost both of those games. We lost both of those games to the, to the Saints, and then uh, we lost the, the second one to the to the Vikings. So I guess they only hand these out to winners because he set a franchise record with like 260 yards receiving in that game against the Saints and then did like 230 against the uh, against the Vikings the following week, in, including one of the most insane catches I've ever seen in my life. He, he caught the ball and held it over his head to keep his feet in bounds as he landed in the end zone after he actually got both feet in and, uh, and all, I mean, it was just a, a batshit crazy catch that he made, but, uh, we lost that game because Mark Tressman is an idiot. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, DJ Moore, offensive player of the week. He's the third Maryland wide receiver to earn offensive player of the week behind Stefan Diggs and Torrey Smith. Defensive player of the week, Fred Warner, linebacker for the 49ers. Eight tackles, one sack, one interception, one forced fumble. First 49er player with a sack, interception, and forced fumble in a game since Navarro Bowman in 2013. This is his third player of the week in his career. He did it again previously in 2020 and 2019. Fourth 49ers player to earn defensive player of the week three times, joining Nick Bosa. Merton Hanks, there's a name for you. Bryant Young, you young folks don't know those people, uh, becomes the second former BYU player to earn player of the week three times, joining Steve Young, who did it 12 times in his career. But he's a quarterback, so it's much easier for them to do it. Special teams on the NFC side, Blake Groupie, or is it Blake Group? Do I pronounce the E? I'm not sure. Two for two on field goals from 54 and 53, had 10 points total because... The Saints were in process of breaking the scoreboard on the uh, on the uh, Patriots uh, last weekend. Longest field goal made in Week Five, and the first rookie kicker to have multiple games, multiple made fifty-yard field goals in a game since twenty twenty-one. Second rookie to win Special Teams Player of the Year this season, with Xavier Gibson winning at Week One for his walk-off punt return TD against the Bills in Week One, and the second Saints rookie kicker to earn the honor joining Will Lutz back in 2016, becomes the second former Notre Dame kicker to earn Special Teams Player of the Week, joining John Carney, who won it 13 times. But like quarterbacks, it's pretty easy for kickers to do it. So 
There you have it, your AFC-NFC Player of the Weeks, and that's all I have, really, for news and notes. But before we get into news and notes, we want to take a look at our uh, standings real quick. And um, for our Pick'em game, and uh, our leaderboard is not changed very much, but Fields of Dreams, still number one, 476 points on 54-24 and 24 record. JoJo still in number two, 468, so only eight points behind the leader at uh, 52 and 26. With their win-loss records, it's no wonder they're up front because it's a 25-point dip from second place to third with Alpha Lava at 443, 48 and 30. McCubin at number four, that'd be, a, were you at number four? Were you that high last week? Uh, 434 at 46 and 32. S. Van Horn, 433. 47 and 31. Decatur Staley's at 430. 46 and 32. Agent Orange Jerseys, 426 at 49 and 29. Irish Mafia. I want to give a shout out to Irish Mafia because uh, he's in eighth place right now. And uh, last week, Irish Mafia was the only one who I want to say performed well last week. Because I went six and eight. I was not alone, or maybe I was as far as my record was concerned. I think a lot of us, uh, well, I think most of us picked the commanders to beat the Bears last weekend. Um, And I'm sure most of us picked the Bills to win in London and other games of that. Like, probably, I think most of us picked the Ravens to beat the Steelers and, and things like that. Nonetheless, out of the 21 of us that are playing the game, um, three of us scored more than three of us scored 70 or more. Uh, Decatur Staley scored 70. Uh, Bear Downtown scored 75. But Irish Mafia was the only one of us to score 87 points, which if you take into account how many points we had to play with last week, which was only 105 because they went 1 through 14 as opposed to 3 through 16. So we lost our 15 and 16-point games uh, last week. So it's 136 when you got all 16 games. So you take those 31 points off the board, 105. Irish Mafia walked away with 87. The rest of us were hovering in the 60s. There were a few 50s uh, here and there scattered uh, in. But 87 points on I believe what I saw was an uh, 11 and 3 record. So Irish Mafia, outstanding job uh last week. So obviously he was our highest point getter um of the week. And I think that uh 11 and 3 might might have also been the best win-loss record for the week uh as well. I mean, I would wager pretty heavy on that considering the next best uh point total was 75. Uh so yeah. But uh, he's in eighth place at 425 for 46 and 32. Uh, Tanyoka, 423 at 48 and 30. Azuma's Revenge uh, rounding out the top 10 at 416, uh, 47 and 31. And uh, I'm just on the outside at 11, 416 on a 44 and 34 record. So a pretty mediocre record. Uh, for, uh, but, uh, apparently I'm, I'm doing well with, with the games that I'm getting right to 
be right on the cusp of the top 10 when I'm, what, two, three games worse than the next best person in the top 10. So I'm right there nipping on the heels, hoping that I can get myself into the top 10 this week and then start working my way up the leaderboard because this is my goddamn league after all, so I should be winning it, right? I should be, I'm the expert. I'm the one who's got a show, so I should be winning this damn thing. And instead, I'm 10 games and 60 points worse than the best guy playing the game, Fields of Dreams, at this point. So I'm putting all y'all in the top 10 on notice. I'm coming for you. I'm not messing around anymore. So just just know that that's happening. So anyway, guys, that's it for news and notes. Let's go ahead and get things started uh, and really kick things off with the all-out blitz before we go into our pick six. Week six all-out blitz. We start in Kansas City where the Chiefs host the Broncos. And after Sunday's loss to the Jets, fire sale talks have begun in Denver as the organization starts to look ahead to 2024. Meanwhile, Kansas City is probably far more concerned with getting out of this game healthy than they are about actually losing it. Give me the Chiefs over the Broncos. Baltimore at Tennessee. Lamar Jackson and his Butterfinger receiving core. Nine drop passes last week against Pittsburgh. Go to Tennessee looking for redemption after letting a win literally slip through their fingers. I mean, literally nine times uh, against Pittsburgh last week. Meanwhile, Tennessee is the NFL's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and are looking to use the trip overseas to the UK for reflection and for a win. I'm taking the Ravens. I just cannot trust the Titans. Minnesota at Chicago. Two one and four teams going in very different directions right now. The Bears finally got their first win in, uh, since October of 2022, and their offense is humming. Meanwhile, the Vikings is a turnover machine. The Vikings' offense is a turnover machine, and they are without Justin Jefferson at least for the next four games. I hate to do it, but give me the Bears. <laughs> Carolina at Miami. I don't think there is a question of if the Dolphins win this game. The question is by how much. Can the, but can the Panthers put up enough of a fight to make it interesting? I'd say no. Give me the Dolphins. Indianapolis at Jacksonville. The Colts offense has done well despite Anthony Richardson's yo-yoing in and out of the lineup. Uh, Gardner Minshew is the man at least for the next four weeks because uh, Richardson's on IR. The Jags are back on U.S. soil after back-to-back wins in the U.K. Looking to keep the winning ways going. Give me the Jags. For the win and for the season sweep over the Colts. New Orleans at Houston. The Texans just came up short in Atlanta, but still played well enough behind behind rookie uh, C.J. Stroud. Uh, did New Orleans finally turn a corner on offense last week, or did they just beat up on one of the league's worst teams in New England? Give me the home team on a low point uh, confidence. I'll take the Texans in this one. New England at Las Vegas, despite their their last two games losing a combined 72 to 3. Bill Belichick says, we're not changing quarterbacks. I'm still going with Mac Jones. Uh, God bless them as they move forward. The Raiders snapped a three-game losing streak by beating the Packers and look to take advantage of the Patriots' lowered station. Ha, I got to go with the Raiders. I don't want to, but I will. Arizona at the Rams last week was the first time this year 
that the Cardinals didn't at least put up a fight against uh, Cincinnati. The Rams, on the other hand, have struggled with consistency since beating Seattle in Week 1 and will need to play at least a clean game to get past the plucky Cardinals. Give me the Rams on Sunday. (laughs) Giants at Buffalo on Sunday night football. God help you, Giants fans. This is another national TV game. Uh, The Giants need all the help they can get and will likely have to face this one without Daniel Jones. Uh, They may get Barkley back, though. The Bills, on the other hand, lost their overseas matchup against Jacksonville and are looking to get back to their winning ways on U.S. soil. Give me the Bills uh, to win on Sunday night. And finally, on Monday night, Dallas at the Chargers. The Cowboys got steamrolled by the 49ers on Sunday night football, and their ego needs a boost. In comes one of the worst defenses in the NFL in the Chargers, who are coming off of a bye and are winners of two straight. Can Herbert and company do enough to kick the Cowboys while they're down? Don't think so. Give me the Cowboys. There you go, guys. Our 10 matchups for the all-out blitz. Let's go ahead and wrap this thing up with week six, pick six. Pick six for week number six of the fourth phase. We start in Atlanta, where the Falcons will be hosting the two and three commanders. The uh, commanders coming off a big loss on national TV to my beloved Chicago Bears. How about that? Uh, but down they've lost three straight um, and after starting out 2-0 and uh, with some come-from-behind wins against the... Um, who did they beat in weeks two? Did they beat the Cardinals week one? And then week two, they came up with a uh, with a win as well. And um, well, I'm sitting here with a computer in front of me, why don't I just look it up? So, real quick, it was the Broncos. Yeah, they were down 21-3 to uh, against the Broncos and came roaring back to uh, win that one 35-33. But then the two games after that, they, found, they were playing the Bills and the Eagles, who were probably somewhere in the top four of just about every power ranking there is on the NFL uh, right now. So no big surprise and and no disrespect to the commanders. They're just not on the level of those two teams yet. Many people, including myself, anticipating them coming back last Thursday to get a win against the Bears. And um, that did not happen. Uh, they did not uh, cover DJ Moore like at any point during the game. He was targeted 10 times. He caught eight passes for 230 yards and three touchdowns. That is not covering DJ Moore. Sorry. But, um, you know, they really struggled to get uh, after the passer, uh, which was something that got them the win over the Bears last year uh, on Thursday night football in week number six. Uh, I mean, they literally beat Justin's field within an inch of his life in that one. Had to was slow to get up, had needed help getting off the ground at times uh, in that ballgame, and they held the Bears to seven points uh, in Soldier Field. And instead, uh, this past Thursday, Justin Fields throws for 282 and, and four touchdowns, and like I said, 230 and three touchdowns to one guy uh, in, in DJ uh, Moore. They struggled to stop the run. I mean, I was really surprised because the thing that was really – afraid of going into this game against the commanders was that defensive line was because they beat us up so bad uh, last year and they got everybody back. I mean, and they have chase young. They didn't have him last year. He didn't play in that game 
uh, against the Bears uh, last year. He was there. There he was, and he did have a pressure, and I think he had a sack uh, in the game as well. But, you know, Montez Sweat, uh, Deron Payne, um, the other Alabama defense, uh, Jonathan something or other. I can't remember his name. Sorry, guys. Um, you know, but there they are. The four, four, four first-round picks, and uh, they got mauled by the Bears uh, on Thursday. I mean, Tevin Jenkins is an outstanding offensive lineman when he's healthy, but they rotated him in and out, and even when Jenkins wasn't in the game, we were dominating the line of scrimmage. That was really what won the game for the Bears, that we actually did it on both sides of the ball because we had five sacks, and we should have had seven, uh, you know, with uh, with uh, Sam Howell able to, to to wiggle his way out a couple of them. And, um, but it's just like that's – that was not how I saw that going. So I, I was like, I know there has to be a lot of worry uh, in the commander camp, or at least in the fan base, after watching uh, the Bears struggle so mightily for the first few weeks of the season, then have them come in and dominate and double up the, your your home team. The, you, know, you were looking for an easy win uh, and a nice little vacation uh, afterwards, and instead you got a third consecutive loss. You lost to a team that many people – had number 32 in of out of 32 in the power rankings, and you lost by 20 uh, to that team uh, as well. Now, could this be a loss that that looks better as we get further away from it? Time will tell. Is like you know, as if if the Bears keep doing to uh, everyone else what they did to Washington uh, on Thursday, that will kind of be kind of the springboard to what comes afterward. But if the Bears go right back to struggling to score 20 points a game after, you know, rolling up the commanders. This is a this is a loss that could be like and this was the moment that Ron Rivera got fired. So, you know, it it uh it's it could be a pivotal game. Uh but none more pivotal than the one they're playing on Sunday cuz they got to bounce back from that, you know. They 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 didn't bounce back from the two losses against the superior teams. One of which they took on the road the defending NFC champion to the absolute limit, took him to overtime. And, you know, the thing that may have actually cost him the game was not going, was not, because they scored a touchdown with zero seconds left in regulation against Philly, and they didn't go for two. I absolutely would have gone for two. You know, so you, you, don't, you don't play not to lose, you play to win. And if, you, if you're kicking a field goal to go to overtime, that's playing not to lose, in my opinion. And I think that's where Ron Rivera screwed up because uh, I absolutely believe just momentum and riding high. They convert that two-pointer. They win the game. It's a walk-off play for them. And they come into Thursday riding high, um, and, and uh, I think they beat the Bears. Honestly, I just think that the momentum and, and, and you know the confidence in beating the defending NFC champs in Philly for the second year in a row – and, you know, knocked him out of the ranks of the undefeated for the second year in a row, the whole nine yards. We could have been looking at a completely different commander team uh, last Thursday. But instead, they decided to kick the field goal, kick the extra point, go to overtime. They lose it in overtime, and then uh, they come out and get rolled by a team that needed a win in the worst way. And, um, you know, it was a... Uh, yeah, I mean, they made a run in the second, in the third quarter. They tried to make a push, and for a while they had Bear fans, a.k.a. me, 
uh, very nervous that we were watching the Denver game all over again. Uh, but instead, uh, the defense got some turnovers, started getting some sacks. The offense delivered that killer blow uh, in the second half uh, with that DJ Moore touchdown uh, in the fourth quarter to make it a 37-20 to uh, game and put the bad boy uh, away. So, you know, the, uh, the commanders uh, came away with more questions than answers after that loss to the Bears because words like Sam Howell you know, he's tough, he's a fighter uh, after throwing two interceptions or, you know, t- getting sacked, you know, five times and throwing another interception uh, against the uh, against the Bears, who had two sacks in four games up to that point. Yeah, you know, now you got to question your offensive line because you gave up nine sacks to Buffalo and you gave up four more uh, to Philly. Then the Bears come in and, and get five when they should have had seven. It's, uh, you know, really got to start questioning what's going on with this offensive line because it's one thing for that kind of thing to happen against a defense like Buffalo, a defense like Philly, who are known for being good on defense when you're coming in with one of the worst defenses in all of football that has allowed 25 points or more in 14 straight games and you get held to 20 give up five sacks, should have given up seven, and you turn the ball over twice to a team who had maybe one legit turnover in the first four games of the season. That's a bad, bad look, man. Bad, bad look. So uh, this is a game that Washington needs badly. And sadly, it's on the road where the Falcons have yet to lose a game. The Falcons are 3-0 and in the uh, short season. Um, and, you know, they've and technically, one of those road games was on uh, in the UK against the Jaguars two weeks ago. So, yeah, they're uh, they're at home. They beat the Texans in come from behind fashion last week. Got the walk off uh, field goal with uh, you know Desmond Ritter leading the charge, getting them on the two minute offense, getting them down the field, getting them in field goal range, kicking the walk off field goal to uh, win it and uh, improve their record to three and two. Uh, getting past the plucky, if you will, uh, Texans uh, last Sunday. But it still brings a lot of questions. Again, they they just barely scored 21 points uh, in that ball game. They still struggled offensively against the Texans because in the two games previous against the Lions and the uh, Jaguars, they combined for 13 points after averaging more than 24 points in the first two games against Green Bay and Carolina. It's like they failed to score a touchdown at all against the the Lions three weeks ago, and then two weeks ago against the Jaguars, they scored one touchdown. And, uh, you know, I think they scored two in the game against the uh, Texans, but it was a dogfight, and it was another struggle. Uh, Bijan Robinson was flashing, but not leading the charge like he was in the first two weeks uh, of the season. And, uh, you know, the, the defense couldn't get them off the field. I mean, they're, they're playing bend but don't break type defense, only gave up 19 points to the uh, Texans uh, last Sunday. But the commanders, who have far better tools than the one C.J. Stroud has to work with, with Brian Robinson, Terry McLaurin, uh, Sam uh, Diami, I forget his first name, 
you know, as well. And that tight end they had who was who was making some pretty impressive catches against the Bears uh, as well. So it's uh, there's a lot more to contend with here than uh, they had to deal with against uh, Chicago. Or excuse me, um, than they had to contend with against the Texans, I should say. So, you know, a bit more firepower. And I guess it would all kind of come down to Sam Howell. And uh, it, I guess, actually, frankly, it would be come down to the quarterback battle. I mean, De- Desmond Ritter isn't turning over the ball as frequently as Sam Howell is. Sam has thrown six interceptions in the first five weeks of the season where Desmond Ritter's only thrown three. But, you know, it... Uh, I think it will come. It will. It will come down to which quarterback plays better uh, on Sunday. I, I mean, and you know, you don't have to look at the stats. I think that it's it. It really comes down to watching it and and seeing because you could look at the stats and say that Sam Howell outplayed Justin Fields, um, because he threw for three hundred and eighty eight yards uh, against the Bears on Sunday, almost over a hundred more than Justin Fields threw for. However, the big stat in that game was uh, Justin Fields threw four touchdown passes. Sam Howell only threw two. And uh, Justin Fields didn't throw an interception. Sam Howell did. So that's what it's really going to come down to. Which one of these quarterbacks makes the fewest mistakes? And um, right now, with the offensive lines, I'm going with the Falcons on this one. So give me Atlanta over Washington uh, on Sunday. I think it'll be another close one because uh, I think the the Falcons don't really know how to play any other way uh, at home. But, uh, yeah, let me go with uh, Atlanta to squeak one out over the Commanders. And then the questions really begin to start for Washington. <laughs> Seattle at Cincinnati. Seattle coming off the bye after annihilating the Giants on Monday Night Football. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, a 11-sack uh, performance uh, against the Giants, which is uh, not that impressive when you uh, consider that uh, they did it. They got sacked seven more times, uh, the Giants did, uh, against the Dolphins the following week. So it's like, oh, they do that against everyone. It's like we just, you know, we got, we got home more. But uh, getting getting to them is not hard, basically, is, is what that says. But, um, you know, they've had their time to uh, to get healthy and to take some time off. We'll see if Jamal Adams is ready uh, to come back. He was only nine plays into his first game of the season since that uh, quad injury he had last year before suffering that concussion and uh, did end up not getting fined by the NFL for his uh, outburst at the independent uh, physician that uh, ruled him out of the game. So kudos to the NFL uh, for that. I think his, uh, I think that uh, Jamal Adams' apology letter went a long way in, in preventing that uh, from happening. So, but, you know, the, uh, the Bengals, on the other hand, seem to have rediscovered their offense against Cincinnati uh, last week. 317 yards from Joe Burrow. Uh, three touchdowns, all three of which went to his former LSU teammate in the always open Jamar Chase, uh, who, as we spoke earlier in the in the show, 15 catches, 192 yards 
uh, in that one. That was definitely that's the performance that you're supposed to have when you're standing there pissed off in the locker room saying things like "I'm always effing open." Then, then you can't go out the following week and catch two balls on ten targets for fifteen yards. No, you go out there and you do what he did. You catch fifteen balls for 192 yards and three touchdowns, and you earn offensive player of the week in the AFC. That's what you do when you stand in the locker room and you say something crazy like that. That's how you back that up anyway. So kudos to uh, Jamar Chase from pulling that off. But um, can they keep it up? That's the real question. Because that game against uh, Arizona, it's the first time we've seen that all year from a team that made it look easy in the last two seasons. 2021, 2022, you know, they struggled a little out of the gate, but they were still able to score. It was more the defense was the shortcoming than anything else. And then here comes the, uh, you know, then this year, both units uh, were struggling. And uh, now that the offense has kicked in in high gear and the defense held the um, Cardinals to 14, uh, or I think it was 20 by the end of the game, 34 to 20, I think was the final score uh, of that one. Did the Bengals figure it out? Were they able to, you know, get them get the ship righted uh, against the Cardinals? Is this kind of, you know, since this is basically where they've kind of snapped it together in the last couple of seasons, was was that the moment when they beat uh, Arizona uh, last week, or was that just uh, you know them picking on the the weaker kid, if you will? Because f- for all the for all the toughness and and uh, and fight that the Cardinals have shown, you know they don't have much talent uh, on their team. So, not surprising that they're sitting at one and four uh, right now. So, did Cincinnati just take advantage of the situation, or were they able to take advantage of the situation and get themselves straightened out at the same time? This is going to be an interesting game for them to discover what the answer is. And going into this, I kind of gave the slight edge to the Bengals. Uh, they're at home uh, and all that kind of stuff. It is a West Coast team playing in the East Coast time zone, and uh, it is an early kickoff, which is basically like asking a West Coast team to play a 10 a.m. football uh, game. But I just... I think Seattle's a little too tough uh, right now. You know, I, 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 maybe I'm just, maybe like in the, in the uh, all-out blitz where it's just like, you know, I want to pick the Titans. I want to take Tennessee to beat the Ravens. But I, I just don't, tr- I mean, because I, actually I don't trust Baltimore either, but I trust them way more. I mean, as, as up and down as it's been for the Ravens, it's nothing like the peaks and valleys that the Titans have shown. This week, you know, they annihilate the Bengals one week, get annihilated by the Browns the week after, you know, then they have this dog fight back and forth with the Colts this past Sunday when it's like, okay, well, the Titans are finished. Oh, no, wait, we're not. We're going to go in there and we're going to beat the Colts in Indianapolis uh, and everything. It's just like, who, who, who are these guys? Like, can you tell me who the Tennessee Titans are right now? You know? And it's you just can't uh, at the moment, and and very much that is what we're looking at with the with the Bengals. We see Jamar Chase, and T Higgins, and Tyler Boyd, and 
you know, Joe Burrow looked healthy and, and comfortable in the pocket last week moving around, so maybe we're over the hump with that that calf injury that's bothered him uh, in the preseason and, and a little bit more in the early early on of this year. But when it comes down to trust, I trust Seattle more. So it won't be high on my confidence level, but give me the Seahawks over the Bengals on Sunday. <laughs> San Francisco at Cleveland. Now, overall, I don't suspect this is going to be much of a problem for the 49ers. And uh, unlike a game we're going to talk about here in a few minutes, the 49ers don't have anybody on the horizon that uh, they would be looking ahead to. So this isn't a trap game for Cleveland, or for the 49ers against Cleveland, I should say. The thing is, though, it is another early start game. So it is one of the, another one of those West Coast playing a 10 a.m. game situations. And the Browns, despite what's going on on offense, are really, really good on defense. Are they good enough to slow down and or stop the 49ers, which is a team right now that is hitting on all cylinders and is winning games and an average score of 33 to 13? So nothing says, nothing indicates, nothing points to the 49ers you know, having a fall-off game. But as we know, here in the NFL, nothing is for certain. Nobody goes undefeated. So even the good teams have those WTF weekends. And I think this is one of those prime spots, especially since there's a very good chance Deshaun Watson's not going to play again. And uh, I I think I read a headline that uh, said that P.J. Walker – uh, who was a failed backup experiment for the Bears uh, during this offseason, is now with Cleveland, and he might start against the 49ers on Sunday. And it's just one of those, like, of course this happened. It's on the road. It's at Cleveland. You got this guy that's you know, has already been kicked off one team. He just signed on to uh, the second team that he's played on this season. He's being thrown into duty because the starter is still hurt. And uh, the rookie didn't uh, live up to the hype last week. So it's uh, you got to step in and, and do this. And we're, we're going to need a lot of help from the defense to, to make a game of this. And that's really the only reason I'm talking about the, like, the possibilities of what could happen. Overall, I'm betting heavy on the 49ers in this one as far as my confidence uh, points. Uh, are concerned they've just they've basically shown no flaws up to this point and I know this is exactly how you talk about a team right before they get their asses kicked but you know like I said that's why I'm talking about this game because if it could happen this seems like the perfect game for it to happen not next week when they play the Vikings on the road in Minnesota not worried about that one at all this is the one with Cleveland's defense where you know maybe we see uh, some kink in the armor because that offensive line couldn't handle Miles Garrett or you know anything like that or uh, Ayuk and uh, Debo Samuel couldn't get open against Denzel Ward you know things like that and even without Deshaun Watson 
PJ Walker was a poor man's Deshaun and was doing this, that, and the other and helping them, uh, you know, get past this uh, seemingly unstoppable uh, team. So only reason I brought it up, didn't have a whole lot to say about it because, you know, the 49ers are clearly the best team in the league right now. I mean, especially with the 42 to 10 drubbing that they handed who many people thought was the other best team in the league. That is a debate that is clearly over until these two teams possibly run into each other uh, in the postseason. So it's like the 49ers, far and away, number one on everyone's power ranking right now. But this does seem like the perfect game for them to lose if they're going to lose one in the midst of what they've done so far uh, this year. I don't think that's going to happen, but that's what made it intriguing enough for me to bring it up uh, in the pick six uh, segment uh, this week. I am definitely betting heavy on those 49ers uh, to beat the Browns, especially with them being shorthanded without uh, without Watson, most likely, uh, this week. And even if he does play, he won't be 100%. So maybe he tries to be uh, brave or a hero and, and gut it out against the 49ers, but I don't like his odds uh, if he does. I'll take the Niners uh, to go 6-0 and after this one. <laughs> Eagles at Jets. This was the other game that I really wanted to talk about, even though I'm going heavy on the Eagles in the confidence points to win this weekend. The reason I wanted to talk about it is because next week, Philly has the Dolphins. So this is the definition of a trap game. You know, you have the Jets in front of you. They're two and three. They just squeaked out a win over the second worst team in the NFL. And... You know, they, they have Zach Wilson, who has played better the last two weeks, still turning over the football and making mistakes that make him look like a bad pick at number two overall, that has everyone cursing AstroTurf in MetLife Stadium because it cost them Aaron Rodgers and his busted Achilles uh, and everything. It's in New York, and the week after, Philly is at home on Sunday Night Football against the Dolphins in what could be a Super Bowl preview. So I know that they're probably coached better than that, that they're being made to focus on the Jets and nothing else. But football players are humans too. And if you're looking at playing against the Jets or playing against the Dolphins, I'm getting way more excited about a Sunday night football audience for what could be a preview of this year's Super Bowl between them and the Dolphins. See if that defense is good enough to slow the Dolphins down, you know, to see if uh, we, you know, we can match them up, uh, you know, point for point uh, with all that talent they got over there. Can Vic Fangio slow them down and all? So this definitely a preview for next week's pick six when I definitely talk about this game. But the reason that I'm talking about this matchup is that this could throw next week's matchup, you know, into a, into a tuss into a tussle because, you know, if the Eagles aren't careful, they could lose this game and not because Zach Wilson is going to go off and throw for three fifty and four touchdowns or anything like that. But because the Jets do actually, like the Cleveland Browns, which is like why I brought up the 49er game, 
the Cleveland Browns and the and the New York Jets are heavy on defense. They have a very good defensive front. They have one of the best corners uh, in the league. Uh, you know, they got Quinn and Williams and and uh, uh, and company on that defensive uh, front. They can defend the run. They can brush the passer. They were forcing turnovers just like they did against uh, Denver. They got three interceptions against Buffalo uh, week one. They can cause enough problems to get Philly into trouble. And the the reason that I bring this up is because, yes, Philly is 5-0. and Yes, they beat everybody the NFL's put in front of them, but they haven't had that big statement domination type win. The closest thing that they've had to that is that Monday night game against the Buccaneers where they were winning 25-3 to going into the fourth quarter. That's as close to domination as the the Eagles have had this year. It's been more like these, you know, we start out heavy and then we kind of cruise like they did against the Patriots. Start out heavy and then cruise like they did against the Vikings. Both of those scores look closer than the game actually was because they were, you know, they put it in cruise control at the in the second half. And in the second half, the Patriots and the Vikings came back and made it one score finishes. They had that Buccaneer win pretty well in hand, and then they had that nine-minute drive to eat up the last nine minutes of the. That's no, that's no bullshit. They, they got the ball back after the after the Buccaneers scored that touchdown, nine minutes and twenty-two seconds to go, and they held on to it for all nine minutes. That's bananas. But you know they nearly lose to the Commanders last week uh, at home, and then they go on the road. And we're going tit for tat with the Rams before second half adjustments. They shut them out and shut them down to win that one. But it's like, I think they've been having this habit of playing down to their competition. And and overall, the Jets are a talented team, but they're without Aaron Rodgers and, and solid quarterback play that they were counting on this year. They're pretty much only good enough to cause you problems. And uh, this is, with especially with that Dolphins game coming up next week. They can cause the kind of problems that might put Philly in a hole they haven't been in yet this year. Because I don't think they've they've really trailed much this season. And, you know, they've uh pretty much been, you know, out in front and winning uh the whole time. They haven't really been in that panic mode type situation where they've had to dig one out. And I think that with what the giant the Jets can do defensively, the problems they can cause, the turnovers they can create, might be able to put Philly in a hole they can't dig themselves out of because Philly hasn't played a 60-minute game yet. They really haven't. So we'll see. Um, I'm still going with Philly uh, on this one. I still like them way more uh, than the Jets, but the possibilities are like if we're – Talking about this game, you know, when when the review comes out next Tuesday, and I'm sitting here talking about, well, the Eagles cost me 12 confidence points because they they shit the bed against the the Jets. Don't be surprised because I told you this could happen. It could happen, and then they messed around, you know, the whole f around and find out type situation. I hope they don't f around because I need those 12 points. Uh, I think it was it's 12 or 13, one of the two. Uh, I'm betting heavy on the uh, Eagles to win this week. And finally, 
Detroit at Tampa Bay, four and one Lions, three and one uh, Buccaneers. It's an old school NFC Central rematch or rivalry renewed, uh, if you will, with the uniforms to boot. Uh, I don't think Detroit's going old school with their uh, uniforms, but I do know that Tampa Bay is with theirs. The old creamsicle unis with the white helmets and the uh, the effeminate-looking pirate, you know, winking at you with the knife in his mouth uh, logo. Those old-school uniforms that I grew up, that those were the Tampa Bay Buccaneers of my childhood. And uh, seeing those unis back on the field, uh, on Sunday is something that I'm looking forward to. And um, this is going to be a big test for the Buccaneers. Uh, they failed the first one in their Monday night uh, loss to the Eagles uh, a couple of weeks ago. But they're coming off the bye, so they've had time to prepare. They still don't know if they're going to get Mike Evans back, who suffered the hamstring injury a couple of weeks ago. Um, but nonetheless... They're uh, gonna be they they're tasked with the uh, with the uh, the chore of trying to slow down uh, this juggernaut that has been the Detroit Lions coming off a forty two to twenty four rolling of the uh, Carolina Panthers last week, where they were every which way but sideways in that game against the uh, against the Panthers. Aiden Hutchinson with a interception, uh, got a sack in there. That you know, it's um, it was it was quite an impressive performance. They had you know flea flicker reverse pitch to the tight end for a touchdown, and were snapping the ball through the quarterback's legs to in a direct snap to the running back, and they were having fun out there uh, last week. Uh, and Tampa Bay, I think, has. Um, has played above what many people, including myself, thought they would be able to do this year. Not just because Tom Brady is gone, but just because even with Brady, they were 8-9 and nine, uh, last year. And their quarterback prospects were Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask. Well, it looks like Baker Mayfield ended up being just what the doctor ordered as far as coming in and taking over your program. Because uh, he's been very good uh, for them. Only 882 yards, and uh, but seven touchdowns and two interceptions. So it's not like in, in uh, Cleveland where he's running for his life and just heaving the ball out there and getting picked off every five passes uh, and everything. He's, he's doing a fairly strong job at the position, being a good leader, being exactly what this team needs, especially if, if in the end he becomes a bridge quarterback. He has absolutely done a great job at getting this team ready for whatever's next. Uh, Meanwhile, trying to play himself into a position to either stick around Tampa Bay long-term or prove to the rest of the league that uh, Cleveland wasn't crazy or Cleveland was crazy in cutting him but not drafting him in number one overall. Like, I am the player they drafted me to be. They just gave up on me uh, after I, you know, played through an injury that needed surgery because they needed me. And then my reward for doing that was for them to trade away a king's ransom, bring in another guy, give him the highest contract in NFL history, and then send me to Carolina. That was the thanks I got for playing 
hurt for 95% of the 2021 season. So, yeah, Baker got a raw deal. He got bounced around a lot last season and, uh, you know, played well wherever he was, though. I mean, he got handed a pretty raw deal as far as who he ended up playing with, you know, Carolina first and then uh, the Rams afterwards. But he helped the Rams win some ball games and show the, I mean, show what kind of pro he was. He just put his head down and did his job best he could. And that's what he's been doing so far with Tampa Bay. Only people weren't expecting much. And they've delivered so far, 3-1 and one, uh, thus far. But this is another Philly-type matchup where they're, it's really going to be uh, important in, in how they show up in this game. Because they pretty much got beat out of the gates uh, against uh, Philadelphia. You know, they tried to fight back uh, late and scoring their touchdown finally there. Uh, in the fourth quarter, but in the end, it wasn't enough, and then they answered that by going into New Orleans, where they traditionally lose, and beat the brakes off the Saints, and you know, scoring defensive touchdowns, getting after uh, Derek Carr, and and you know, Baker Mayfield throwing touchdown passes and uh, and everything, and getting an impressive division win on the road in a building that they historically do not perform well in. So their reward for that was that they got a break, you know, in an early bye. And, uh, you know, they've had some time to lick their wounds and get ready and prepare for this game. Can they show up and play well enough to win it? I just think the Lions are playing too well. Weather may be a factor in this one because I know that the Lions come from a cold weather area, but, you know, here in the Midwest, but uh, they're a dome team. And, um, you know, as many of you have probably heard me say a thousand times over the years, I've only been to Tampa, Florida one time. Actually, I've only been to Florida, period, one time. And it was to Tampa, Florida in November. And in November, it was 85 degrees with humidity humidity that could choke a, a human being. And I don't know why the hell people retire down there. Like my mom's younger sister, she just retired down there. Her and her husband. I don't know why. It's terrible on there. And I know it's a very, very small sample size, but it's 85 in November. Late November, actually. Late November, 85. Humidity. It felt like mid-August out there. And it was November. Like when we traveled to go out there, it was 40-something degrees outside in Illinois when we left. We get to Tampa Bay, Florida. It's... 85 degrees, 1,000% humidity. I just wanted to kill myself. It was awful. So weather might be a factor, but I just think the Lions are too good anyway. I will take them to win on Sunday over the Buccaneers. And there you have it, guys, the pick six for week number six, and that is going to do it for the week six preview episode of the fourth phase. Come back tomorrow when we will have... Uh, Chris Gates from the Daily Norseman to help me preview Bears-Vikings for week number six, a matchup between two one and four teams who, like I said, in the all-out blitz in very different places right now. We'll talk to Chris, and you know Chris and I love to talk about the history of this rivalry, especially when the game is being played in Soldier Field. Some odd, odd stuff goes down when the Bears and the Vikings get together in Soldier Field. So come on back for that tomorrow. 
and we'll get you ready for week number six. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the fourth phase. We'll see you next time.